Veritas Mizzou podcast. Veritas is the college ministry of The Crossing, a church in Columbia, Missouri. Our greatest hope is to see more and more college students believe that Jesus is more. To get connected, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you're encouraged by this message. Hi guys, welcome. Earlier this year, a song called Driver's License by Olivia Rodrigo debuted at number one, breaking multiple records since its release, one of which was the most streams a song has ever had in a single week. I love how in a year marked by a global pandemic, mass, civil, and political unrest in our country, racial injustice and social isolation, the number one song, the song that everyone is losing their minds over, is a song about a breakup. All jokes aside, I I really love the song, it's so good. Um, But I think Olivia Rodrigo, she puts words to something that we all feel that dating can be really dysfunctional sometimes and really hard to navigate. So tonight, we're gonna close out our dysfunctional series by talking about dating relationships. And a little bit about me, if you were to ask any of my friends, it's actually kind of funny that, and ironic that I'm standing up here giving a talk about dating. I don't have the best track record with dating. I once literally ran away from a guy who was trying to ask me out in college. Uh, my husband, Nick, and I, we met actually our freshman year of college. Our small, my small group leader tried to set us up our freshman year. It didn't really stick, but we became friends, really good friends actually. And for five years, I got to see how he treated his friends and roommates and how he approach school and work, and really just, I got to see his character and who he was, and I got to watch him pursue Jesus for five years before we ever went on a date. This was our sophomore year of college. I'm going to give you a second to sort out in your brain who is who. Um, the, th- <laughs> the thumbs up is so cringy. I, I literally remember taking this picture and thinking, like, do the thumbs up. That's going to, like, really sell it. Um, but, yeah, like, sophomore year, well before we ever dated, uh, four-ish years after that photo was taken, Nick came over to my house, and he told me that he liked me, and he asked me on a date. Our first date ended with, oh, um, by the time that he asked me out and our date, all of our friends decided that they wanted to hang out the same day that we had our first date. And so we had to like leave the first date and go hang out with all of our friends uh, where we had to like kind of pretend like we didn't just go on our first date together. I was so anxious and so awkward. Having known each other for five years, you would think it would be less awkward, but it was not. Um, I'm really glad we went on that date though. About nine-ish months later, we got married and we just celebrated our first year of marriage last month. And so if you're just dropping in, we've been going through this series called Dysfunctional. And we've been exploring the ways that sin affects every area of our lives. And tonight we're going to be talking about our dating relationships and how dysfunctional dating can be. I asked some of you, what is so dysfunctional about how we date? And this is what you said. 
A lot of you talked about the lack of clarity in dating. One of you said, what does it even mean to hang out? I'm tired of guys just asking to hang out. A few guys talked about how it feels like girls can have an unrealistic view of them and have a standard for dating. Some of you have talked about how being close friends who don't know their value and their dignity and watching them date people who don't treat them well and honor them well. And some of you talked about the pressure of dating in this community where it feels like everyone is watching you. As I've been thinking about this talk, I just keep coming back to a pretty fundamental question, and that is, what is the purpose of dating? Like, what is the point of it? For some of you, if asked that question, you'd probably say that dating doesn't really have a purpose outside of itself. Dating is just that, it's dating. Or maybe not dating per se, but talking or hooking up. There's not really a purpose outside of itself, it is just that, it's just getting to know someone. But I think if we're really honest with ourselves, dating is about way more than just dating. When, go here for a second with me. When you're sitting down and like having conversation with your closest friends, when you're alone with your thoughts, what makes you excited to date someone? When you look at the movies and the TV shows and the storylines that really grit people, maybe your favorites, the ones that you see are culture-loving, dating, when you look at those, dating is about so much more than just dating. Dating is about finding someone to make you happy. Dating is about finding yourself, exploring and learning more about yourself. Dating is about the right person coming along or finding the person to complete you. It's about finding someone who loves you unconditionally, someone who makes you feel less lonely, more secure, maybe someone to make you feel good about yourself, or maybe just to feel good, period, either through the excitement of the pursuit or the pleasure of hooking up. And have you, ever or have you ever followed your desire to its end? Because from my own dating experience, watching my friends and working in college ministry for the past couple years, those reasons that we date people, they don't always deliver on their promises. The person who's supposed to make you happy makes you mad sometimes. Time goes by and the excitement and fluffy feelings wears off and you kind of get bored. Maybe you're still sitting around waiting for the person to come along to complete you. You're still looking for your soulmate. What I'm saying is we need better tracks to run on if we're going to keep doing this dating thing. So tonight, I'm not going to be able to get into all there is about dating. There's so much. We actually did a talk about dating a couple years ago. Alex Moore did it, and so I'm going to plug that. If you get to the end of tonight and you're like, wait, I want more, um, we have a podcast. Um, if you search Veritas Mizzou and then search dating, you'll find it. She goes into the who to date and how to date, and it's super great. But tonight, we're going to steer in a different direction. And tonight, we're actually going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about God's purpose and intent for marriage. And we're going to let that frame how we date. Now, before you freak out because I just said the M word, we have to remember that dating is a pretty new thing. In the grand scheme of human history of love and romance, 
Dating has only been around for a little over 100 years. I looked that up. That's why if you've ever wondered what the Bible has to say about dating, you won't be able to find much, at least not explicitly. That's because dating wasn't a thing. Talking in the way that we talk about talking wasn't a thing. Boyfriend and girlfriend wasn't. But marriage was and friendship was. And learning about what God has to say about marriage can give us some really good tracks to run on when we date. The story of the Bible actually begins and ends with a wedding ceremony. In Genesis, with a wedding ceremony of Adam and Eve, and at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, with a wedding of Jesus and the church. Marriage is often, throughout the Bible, used as a metaphor, as God's love for his people. Marriage is everywhere in the Bible. And so tonight, I wanted to hone in on God's purpose and intent for marriage by looking at the very first one in Genesis. You can follow along with me on the screen. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Okay, that's a lot, and there's a ton that we could unpack here. But tonight, we're going to hone in, and we're going to answer the question, what is the purpose of marriage? And we're going to find here three ways that God answers that question. And we're going to let that provide a context for how to date. And you guys, when I started to look at dating this way, I wish I learned this earlier. It completely reframed the way that I viewed it and the way that I still view my marriage with Nick. And so in here, in Genesis, the first purpose we see in marriage is for friendship. We make dating out to be so complicated, you guys. But in the end, one of the primary reasons that God creates marriage was for something, yes, as simple as friendship. Last week, Justin actually talked in depth about friendship, and so I won't go into a ton of detail here, but you should for sure check it out if you missed it. But in Genesis, after God created Adam, he said, it is not good for the man to be alone. And don't miss this. Before there was brokenness and sin in the world, God had a sense that it wasn't good for someone to be alone. That is one of the reasons that God created marriage. Of course, marriage isn't the only place we find friendship, but one of the primary reasons God creates marriage is for friendship. And in the dating sphere, we talk a ton about compatibility. And honestly, I hate that word. Nick and I, by most definitions of compatible, aren't. He's an extrovert, I'm an introvert. He's logical and practical, and I'm emotional. He's an eight, I'm a three. 
And low-key, finding someone that's compatible with you is actually a really self-centered way to approach dating. By compatible, we're essentially saying, I want someone to complete me. Think about how different we'd treat dating if instead of looking for the right type of person to come along, instead of waiting and finding someone who completes you in this perfect and unrealistic way, you instead started to look for someone who was capable of becoming your best friend. Think about how much weight we would take off of people to be a certain way when we were just looking for someone that we enjoy spending time with, someone that we want to serve, someone who would be a good friend to you. Again, it's so simple, but don't miss it. Marriage is spending a ton of time with someone, and so make it someone that you enjoy. The next purpose for marriage we see in Genesis is something that we're going to call partnering. Let me explain. God puts Adam in the garden to work it and take care of it. Later in Genesis, God says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Earlier in Genesis, God says, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule. All of this work, subdue, and rule language is getting at something. One of the first things God does with Adam is he puts him in the garden to work it and take care of it. God gives Adam a purpose that is outside of himself. But soon we see that the garden is too much work for just one person. Adam needed help to take care of it. That is why God created Eve. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, I want to pause a second here. To us, we read that and we hear helper as lesser. As a woman reading this, I've had this thought before. I've seen this passage and passages like it used to knock women down, to treat women like they are inferior to men, simply because of the word helper here. This verse has been used to abuse women in the church, and it is not okay. If that's been you, I'm really sorry, and I'm glad you're here tonight. Because when we look at this word, this root word for helper, which in Hebrew is translated, translated to be ezer, we see a much fuller, much more beautiful picture of the word. In the Psalms, God is referred to as our helper, our Ezer. In Psalm 33:20, it says, Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our helper, or Ezer, and our shield. Helper cannot possibly mean lesser, since the God of the universe is said to be as our helper, our Ezer. So in the context of our story, right, moving it back, it may be helpful to view helper here as a partner. God gave Adam, Eve, as a partner to fulfill a purpose that was outside of themselves. God gives each of us our own garden, so to speak, to work and take care of. God gives each of us a purpose. But all too often in dating and in marriage, that purpose becomes the other person. John Mark Comer has this great quote. It says, if the, end, the, if the point or end goal of your relationship is your relationship, it will collapse in on itself. In the story of Adam and Eve, we see a marriage whose calling is outside of themselves. They are partnering with each other, but more importantly, with God. 
to bring about flourishing to the earth. They are partnering with God in cultivating the patch of earth that had been entrusted to them. They are partnering to bring about flourishing to the earth. It's so beautiful. How this translates to you and me, don't marry someone who isn't partnering with God on their own to fulfill a purpose bigger than themselves. Ben Stewart has this awesome analogy that marriage is running the race, linking arms with someone and running the race that is the Christian life together. If your significant other's life is just about whatever is in front of them, or if their whole world revolves around you, how can you trust your garden, your purpose, and your calling to them when you're facing different directions entirely? With Nick, Honestly, for me, this was a fairly easy thing. I, again, saw him for five years pursue God on his own. I saw how he treated his friends and his roommates and how he was at school and, and, and at work. We both wanted to stay in Columbia, and we both had a shared passion for college ministry. I saw the direction he was going, and it was the same direction that I was going. Partnering with him was kind of a no-brainer for me. But I have friends who decided to partner with someone who wasn't following Jesus. And the reluctancy to go to church on the weekends turned into a complete mockery for their faith and division over what they wanted their life to be formed around. Or I have a friend that in college felt called to foreign missions, but they started to date someone pretty seriously who really wanted to stay in their hometown for the rest of their lives. Eventually, they decided to break up out of mutual respect for each other and the work that God was entrusting to them. Now, I'm not saying that every relationship is as cut and dry as those examples are. I'm hesitant to even give you a black and white answer because this can be so nuanced. But if you're in a relationship right now, ask yourself, what direction are you and your significant other headed? What garden has God entrusted to you? Is your significant other partnering with God on their own to fulfill a purpose that is bigger than themselves? If those questions are hard to answer, that is okay. Process them with a friend or a small group leader or a mentor. Marriage is for partnering with God to and with each other to fulfill a purpose that is bigger than yourself. The last purpose for marriage that we see in Genesis is for sexuality. And all too often when we have this conversation in the church, we start with all of the don'ts. Don't have sex, don't make out, don't spend the night with each other. And if that's all you've ever heard in the context of the church, I'm sorry. I really am. Because before we have a conversation about all the don'ts, and before we even read all of the don'ts in the Bible, we see on the very first pages a pro-sex God who says, be fruitful and multiply. And when Adam lays, first lays eyes on his wife, we read this earlier, but he recites a love poem over her. He says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. After which God says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. In Genesis, we see 
sex as this incredibly intimate, unifying act between a husband and a wife. In verse 24, what our translations say is one flesh means to essentially be fused together at the deepest levels. Sex is bonding, it's connecting, it's vulnerable, and it's not dirty or shameful. Is that how you think about sex? Do you know what God thinks about sex? God is pro-sex. If you don't believe me, spend some time in the book Song of Solomon. It is literally a book that is in your Bible of erotic and romantic poetry. No one wants me to read that from that right now, especially me. I'm already uncomfortable enough talking about sex right now. Um, but before we ever talk about sex, we have to remember the God who created it and the intentions he had for it. And that in his loving kindness and in his care for us, he gave us boundaries for it. Boundaries that are for our good, for the flourishing of you, of your current partner, and for your future spouse. One of those boundaries is that sex is intended to be between a husband and a wife in the context of marriage. If that's the first you're hearing that, that is a really hard pill to swallow, and I get it. To our 21st century ears, that is naive. We're missing out. There can be no way that that is truly for our good. Rules are meant to be broken. But consider this for a second. If you would say that God is your creator, might it be that God knows what's best for you? To God, sex is about so much more than just sex. And so knowing God's intentions for sex and how it's about so much more than just sex, we read um, the letter to the Corinthian church, Paul saying, and this could literally be written to you and me yesterday, um, so relevant, but Paul's saying, he's quoting someone here, he says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not, every, not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. That should sound familiar to us. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit also. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. I wish I could go more in depth here, but Paul is doing a callback here to Genesis, to that section that we read earlier. He's reminding the Corinthians that sex is about so much more than just sex, but it's binding people together physically, but also emotionally and spiritually. He's not just giving them a list of don'ts. He's reminding the Corinthians of God's good intentions for sex and God's good boundaries for it. And so when it comes to sexuality, we too need to remember the God who created it and the intentions he had for it. That sex is a powerful and intimate act 
It's two people becoming one, fusing together physically, emotionally, and spiritually. That's why God gives us marriage. It's a healthy outlet for a husband and a wife to explore their sexuality together, to be completely naked and unashamed. Chances are there are people in this room that have had sex. Maybe you're in a relationship where sex is the norm. Maybe you and your partner aren't having sex, but you're towing the line, and it's been really hard to stay on one side of it. I mean, I don't, I don't know where you're at. But if you're starting to think about how to trust God with your sexuality and in your relationship, here are some helpful things to start doing. The first is to simply know what God has to say about sex. Understand the beauty and complexity of it and why God gives us boundaries for it. If you're in a relationship, the second one, um, have a boundary talk with your partner and have it often, not just once at the beginning. Over-communicate with your partner about what you're doing and how you guys are feeling about it. There were multiple times when I was dating Nick that we had to be like, yo, we're just like, we can't kiss. (laughs) Like, this is just too much for us right now. So be ready to pull back at times if that's just where you're at, and that's okay. The third is to confess quickly to each other, to God, and to someone that is outside your relationship. Find someone to let in on everything, to pray for you, and to keep you accountable. Okay, let's tie all of these things together. Ben Stewart wrote a really great book called Single Dating, Engaged, Married. If you've been around, we talk about this book a lot. We really love it. Um, But he says that we should approach dating as a process of evaluation for marriage. And I think this approach to dating is genius, especially when we have a good framework for marriage. So let's break this down a little bit. He says that dating is a process. Dating is a process much more than it is a status. Too often, we treat dating as a status, an end goal or destination point, if you will. When we do that, we confuse ourselves and the people we date. You don't need to know if you want to marry someone before you go on the first date. We can put way too much pressure on dating to have it all figured out before you ever go on a date with someone, and we forget that dating is the process of figuring it out. Dating is a process by which we evaluate or really weigh the other person's character to see if we would want to marry them. Some of you need to be honest with yourselves here. To be blunt, every person you date, you will either get married or break up. How's that for a closer? Ask yourself, do I enjoy spending time with them? Is this person partnering with God on their own? Is this person running in the same direction as you? Is this person honoring their body and yours? Are they currently trusting God with their sexuality? Is this person pushing you to live a life that looks more and more like Jesus? Because at the end of the day, that's what all of this is about, right? A healthy dating relationship, it points us to marriage, and a healthy marriage points us to Jesus. 
Marriage is one of those mysterious ways that Jesus' love for us becomes tangible. It makes something that is as big as Jesus' love, what transcends all other loves, become something that we can wrap our heads around. In Ephesians 5, we see one of these beautiful word pictures of how a husband and a wife's love is rooted in and reflects the love of Jesus. It's a metaphor, but it's also a reality. And it puts words to how Jesus loves us. And so as the music team comes back up, marriage, when it's fulfilling all that it's intended to, shows the world what Jesus' love is like. Like how Jesus' love for his people had nothing to do what he would get in return. How Jesus looks at you and me, looks at all of you and me, and he presents us blameless and whole. Like how Jesus loves us as he loves himself. Like how Jesus laid down his life, died to himself for his people. And how we, as Jesus' people, love and support and lovingly put ourselves under the love and authority of Jesus. And as his people, we see Jesus and we cherish him and we honor him and we respect him. We pursue him and we delight in him. And we lay down our lives to love him. That is what marriage is supposed to do. It's supposed to show the world the love of Jesus. And so when you date, date as if it wasn't about you at all, but as if it was about Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Veritas Mizzou podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This helps other people find our content so that they can be encouraged too. Most importantly, to get connected to Veritas, check out our weekly meeting on Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. on Mizzou's campus. For specific details about where we meet, how to join a small group, or more information about Veritas, visit us online at veritasmizzou.com. To stay in the loop with what we're up to, follow Veritas Mizzou on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks again for listening.